Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in John chapter 21 and basically we've been over the last several months we've been in the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah has 66 chapters it's a magnificent book we cover archaeology we cover history all these things but roughly every 10 chapters we try to take a break move to another scripture to get a little variety after these two Sundays this is going to be a two-part series we're going to go back to Isaiah. Fantastic book. We're getting towards the prophecies of the Messiah. It's a lot of fun. Uh, so as we look at this message this morning, we're in John 21. And this is interesting because if you know your Bible, if you know your Gospels, uh, John chapter 20 ends like the other three Gospels. So there's four Gospels. And you look at John 20 and, and it looks good. It, there's a, a nice ending there. And you wonder why John would take such a perfectly good Gospel and add chapter 21, which almost seems out of place. And I try to pique your interest and your curiosity with that. It's almost as if the Holy Spirit has John take a microcosmic look. He focuses in on these interactions between the Lord's followers after his resurrection and how they're trying to finding their way to represent him and to start this organization that we know as the church. So it's a really good look. Uh, actually, I'm really excited to teach next Sunday. I didn't even get through this yet. Uh, but... I don't know if you know this, I mean, if you're students of the Bible, you would, but did you know that all four Gospels and the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians all speak of Jesus' post-resurrection and speak of others other than the 12 disciples? Now, we know that Judas took his life, so after the resurrection, there's 11 left. But other than the 11, all six of those works of the Holy Spirit speak of Christ's followers actually now in going forth and doing this magnificent work. So I, I say that for a reason because today's message is titled No Discipleship Dissociative Disorder. Listen, every month they're coming out with a new disorder or the secular world. So I figured I coined my own this morning. And basically something odd has happened in, let's say, the last 70 years or so in Western Christianity where there's a big push to move Christianity towards the spectator sport. You know, a lot of these wow ministries, big ministries, uh, where people come in and they're spectators or consumers. And they just feel, well, I go to church, I'm a Christian. And that's about where it ends. Although I want to challenge you, as we go through the Scripture, to see that we all have a role in the church. The church is a living breathing spirit-filled organization it's not a building it's not an organization made by men so as we go through this let's look at what the disciples are doing what the lord is teaching his disciples and how that would apply to us this morning we're going to look at this in three parts so jumping in john 21 i'll read the whole chapter and then focus in on a few verses it says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, this is also known as the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. It was also known as the Sea of Chenereth. And it really depended on who was controlling the region, you know. And you see this in the world today, that the names changed, but the geography and the topography remain the same. And in this way, he showed himself, Simon Peter... 
Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going with you. (laughs) They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, John referred to himself like that. It was, it's, you know, he just had such a strong bond with the Lord, and the others did too, that he referred to himself as Jesus loves me. He was this disciple that Jesus loved. Remember, this is his biography, but also autobiography. He says to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So this happened previously. Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Referring to John. Jesus said, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then the saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there were many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. All right, a lot to cover there. Um, Again, we're going to take this in three parts. The first part is that Jesus appears to his disciples again during his 40-day post-resurrection ministry. Now, a lot of people don't realize that Jesus was on the earth for 40 days after he rose from the dead. And I'll talk about this kind of transitional period, how the disciples kind of had to get used to it. 
We'll cover that. But if we look at the list of appearances, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary after his resurrection, just as covered in John 20 and Matthew 28. He appeared to the travelers on the Emmaus Road, Luke 24. This appearance, right, known as the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to the 11 apostles in the upper room in Jerusalem, Luke 24. He appeared to the apostles in Jerusalem when he ascended into heaven, Acts 1. He appeared to Saul on the Damascus Road. Saul later became the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9. He appeared to 500 followers at one time, 1 Corinthians 15. Now you have to think about this, and I've said this before, that what was he doing? He's raised from the dead. He's 40 days in this this incredible appearance that he's like just very different looking, perfected appearance. And he appears to all these people. Well, remember, the Roman persecution was coming. Christianity, if it was a fling or some cult leader, and and there was a lot of cult leaders back then. Uh, I could could list a whole bunch for you. Some that are actually in secular history. And all those followers, when the, the leader was killed, they were gone. They were done. That was the end of that cult. Jesus rose from the dead. This is why Christianity has stood the test of time for so long. Because of the resurrection. Otherwise, it wouldn't have. Now, this is interesting, too, because a little aside on this, what I call transitional period. So you and I, we understand, I know for me that um, usually when I'm driving, I'm not one to listen to the radio or, or, or much, and I just drive in the car and I pray, you know. And like I said, before Bluetooth, people thought I was kind of nutty. If they look at a light, I'd turn my head a little bit. But now with Bluetooth, they could think I'm talking on the phone, so it works. Uh, so we pray to the Lord, we read the Bible, we fellowship with other believers, we uh, pray that the Holy Spirit would show us things, teach us things, that the Lord would guide us through our lives. We understand, we, we got into as Christians this, this way that we're spirit, but we're also physical, but we commune with the living God. Now remember, the disciples were used to leaning on his shoulder, eating with him, right? Um, Sleeping. They're in the boat and Jesus is sleeping. And they could touch his physical body. So the disciples got so used to his physical appearance that wherever he walked, they would walk behind him. He was the living God. Nobody walked in front of him. What's Jesus going to do today? Oh, maybe he'll raise somebody from the dead. So the disciples, right? This organization of the church God has to get the disciples to where we are, right? It says Jesus is going to ascend. So during this period, he appears, and just like that, he's gone. He shows up again. An hour later or so, he's gone. And it's, it's kind of cool. Everything in the Bible makes sense. Everything flows if you really take the time to study it. So again, I call this this transitional period. But verse 2, it said that there were... Two unnamed disciples, or I'm going to start to use the word followers, because we're also followers of Christ. There's two unnamed followers. Well, the name is not important because in 1 Corinthians 15, when the Apostle Paul says there was a gathering of up to 500 brothers and sisters and Jesus appears in his resurrection form, you don't get any names. But they're his followers, right? Much more than the 11 after his resurrection. And when I look at the Bible, I see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, a lot of times people aren't named. Men, women of God. But that represents us as well. Okay, Our names aren't in the Scripture. 
but we're also called by God to do things. Something simple is uh, comforting someone while you're sitting and waiting in the doctor's office and you can see somebody's visibly agitated. They're upset. They might be crying. And the Lord uses you to comfort that person or even pray for that person. And that's part of being a follower. It's part of carrying on His work. You see, God is not looking for, nor was He ever looking for, an A-team, so to speak. Again, He's looking for all of us to be a part of His work and to carry it on. Verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, I like to put the messages together and then I like to read the commentaries. You know, some of the theologians and what they think. And some people actually think, a lot of people think, well, Peter was being disobedient. And let me just follow the logic here for a minute. I'm not saying I believe that, but I just want to follow that for a minute. In Matthew 26, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus told His disciples that He was going to rise again and after He was resurrected, He was going to meet them in Galilee. In Matthew 28, after his resurrection, Jesus tells the women, one of the first people to see him, that he was going to meet his followers in Galilee and for them to go tell the disciples and remind them of this. So I might not completely agree with some of the criticism of Peter, but is it possible that he just kind of went fishing to pass the time? Now remember, we have... uh, I'm not really an app person, but I know that you could, on your phone, get all these apps and you could have meetings and it'll give you dates, it'll give you times, it'll remind you of things. Well, they didn't have that back then. (laughs) So they probably thought, Jesus didn't give us a time. So they go out to Galilee and, hey, what better thing to do than go fishing, right, Bill? You know what I'm saying? Let's go fishing. So Peter says, let's go fishing. The other disciples um, they, they said, yeah, we'll follow, we'll follow Peter here. So whether he's passing the time or being disobedient, what we do know is this. When we struggle, brothers and sisters, even today, when we struggle in the spiritual realm, sometimes we go back to what is our comfort zone, is what we're good at. Sometimes when we struggle with spiritual things, we go back to physical things that we know that we're good at. It makes us feel better. Because truthfully, even as Christians, discerning God's will is is not a very easy thing. You know, it's not like, you know, some of these prayers and some of these preachers pretty much, you know, they they tell you pretty much snap, snap your fingers and God will just deliver something to you. That's not the relationship that's reflected in the Bible. God wants a day to day living relationship with his followers, not just going to church on Sunday, doing a religious thing, or just writing a check. It's a a living relationship with the living God. So we look at this, right? And again, this is where I come up with this title, No Discipleship Dissociative Disorder. Again, there's some type of, of chasm that happened like 70 years ago in today where people are drawn towards these uh, event-driven churches and kind of feel like they're so uh, monstrous that they don't have any part of it. But God wants all of us. And I say that as an encouragement. Again, we, your pastors and elders and wives, etc., we're not the A-team. Um, the other day I was mixing concrete. I was dirty, sweaty, smelly, and nothing impressive to look at. I clean up nice on a Sunday, though. So there, there's no A-team here. We all do something. And that's what makes the beauty of the body of Christ when we're all pitching in together. Verse 4, continuing on, it says, But when the morning had come... Jesus stood on the shore. So now we see this interaction. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He's in His glorified form. Um, I don't know. Can't imagine what He might have looked like. 
Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. Then he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. So two out of three is this miracle catch of fish because they listened to the Lord's voice. Verse 4. At times, his followers recognized Jesus during this time, during this period. At times, they didn't. But he was always there to observe them, to see how they handled the situation and to help them out and to give them a boost of encouragement and confidence when they needed it, to give them a retraining, to instruct them, because they were going to be key figures of this new organization called the church. So the question is, now let's, this is kind of neat because we see how how they were, well, from where they are now, they see how we are, right? And they're, they're gone to heaven to be with the Lord. And we're trying to understand them, and maybe, in, in a sense, they can see what we're doing and have an understanding of, of what we're doing. So basically, what would, how would we feel if, and, and it's probably not going to happen based on what I read in the Scripture, if all of a sudden Jesus showed up physically right here and he's sitting in the first pew. Well, we'd all be very distracted now, wouldn't we, including myself. But I think the part that we forget is that Jesus is always with us, Right? So, you know, they, they might have, I don't know, maybe they had to get used to the fact that they were doing something. Maybe they did something wrong, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Oh, it's Jesus. You know, straighten up, everybody. But the truth is, even today, what does the Bible tell us? When two or three are gathered, there I am in the, in the midst of you. So, I don't know, for me personally, whether I'm in the pulpit or driving down a road or whatever's going on, I know the Lord is right there with me. I know He's filled me with His Holy Spirit. So it's neat. We see what they're trying to, you know, this learning curve that they're trying to get to, but we also see where we are now. And it's really cool because one day we'll be in his presence and physically and without sin. And that's going to be a new thing to get used to. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be very exciting. We look forward to it. Verse 6, he says, cast the net on the right side. Now, I I don't know. I, I read it and I try to envision it and, you know, the the seashore and the little boat and the disciples are in it and Jesus is in some type of form walking and, and he's calling out to them. But they, the fact that they listened to him was big. Remember, some of these guys were experienced fishermen. Now you know, <laughs> if you're really good at, some, at something and some bystander just starts telling you to do something and you know your trade, <laughs> you're laughing back there, my, my plumber friend, uh, <laughs> because, right? Hey, why don't you do it this way? Well, who are you? <laughs> but they did listen to him. There was something about this character, this figure on the shore, who they didn't quite understand who it was, that starts in a gentle demeanor giving them instructions, and instead of giving them a hard time because it was hours that they didn't catch anything, they could have been very irritated, but they actually listened to him. Listen to him. And folks, it's no different today. I mean, we could have, and I have a busy schedule. Sometimes the Lord will sideline me. I'll be like, all right, this is my day. I have a, 
a piece of paper and I write, write all the things I have to do during the day. I'm busy. And the Lord will sideline me. I'll meet somebody in a parking lot. I'll, and I, I know it's the Lord's voice. And I am listening for it. And he says, that person, go talk to them. And we kind of get into these things sometimes. Well, maybe they'll think I'm a weirdo. You know, I'm a stranger. They don't know me. But it always works out well. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but we also have to listen to that still, small voice of the Lord. My understanding of the Lord is unless it's something that's very dangerous, He doesn't shout at us. He's a loving Father. He's gentle. He's subtle. And sometimes we listen to His voice and sometimes we don't, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Do, do any of us have 100% an A+, I know I don't. There's times I look back and go, oh, I should have. You know, in hindsight, I realize, yeah, that was the Lord's voice. I'm just being transparent with you. I'm just being honest with you as your pastor. There is no A-team here. So we're all in this thing together. But I love this. I love the interactions between the disciples and Jesus. In John chapter 10, if we could put that up, John chapter 10, 27 through 28, Jesus says this, speaking about his followers. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And I can tell you that up to, I don't know, 26 years old, I wasn't his. I didn't hear his voice. I did my own thing. I only called out to him when I was struggling in life, and then I ignored him for a few months because I wasn't a believer. But now I know his voice. Now we have a relationship. And sometimes I actually sit back in my quiet time and I reflect on, on the past and just, you know, just the difference in my life since I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, it, it, and again, you, you can see this, you can go on um, YouTube or any of these, these websites and see uh, sheep following pastor's voice, uh, sheep following shepherd's voice. Jesus likened himself as a shepherd of sheep and we're the sheep, but it's an incredible thing where you could have a, a sheepfold of a uh, hundred mixed sheep and three shepherds. And each shepherd will line up in three different spots and they'll, they'll have some weird call or they'll, they'll say something. And all of a sudden, those hundred sheep all start to go in different directions and they all make their way in front of the shepherd. That's an incredible thing to watch. I mean, it really, it'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. So Jesus' allegories, Jesus' um, um, euphemisms, his typology, um, it's just incredible what he does. And it's incredible how he makes sense of it and makes these, these similes or these likenings. Verse 7, John, John is the first to recognize Jesus, but Peter is the first to actually get to him. Remember, Peter jumps in the lake, the other disciples finish with the fish, and then they all come together, right? Peter just jumps in the lake and he swims to the shore to get to Jesus. So, when we look at John in the Scripture, I love this. John is patient, he's pensive, he's attuned to the Spirit. Peter's more impetuous and impulsive, but Peter's also passionate about his Lord. Peter doesn't always think things through. And he does, you know, <laughs> we can even see this after the Lord has ascended, uh, some of Peter's behaviors. But maybe this morning you can see yourself as one of the two. You don't have to call out which one it is. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. I know as a new Christian, I was probably definitely more like Peter. But I try to be like John as time goes on. But I do have my Peter moments. 
But this is a neat thing because Christianity is a big tent. I love to say that. It draws all types of people, right? It draws an incredible diversity of, of, of ethnicities, of experiences, of, you know, all kinds of things. And it brings everybody together into one building. I love that about the gospel. You have your Peters. You have your Johns. Hopefully nobody here is a Judas. <laughs> you have your Thomas, who's, uh, you know, he's a doubter. He's, he wants to see the proof. But Thomas, boy, when he was solidified that it was Jesus Christ risen from the dead, he went all the way. It was over a thousand miles all the way to India to share the gospel. And even I have friends who are of Indian descent and they have um, you know, monuments and stuff built of, because of Thomas, because he came all the way to India and shared the message of salvation with the Indian people. So it's very, very exciting. Here's a guy who, you know, it was so hard to convince him, but once he was convinced... You couldn't shake him of that faith. And he was also martyred for his belief system. He never quit on the Lord once he got it. This huge catch of fish, you know, this is something where we see that God provides. Uh, Chuck Smith had an expression where God guides, God provides. And in in many instances, it's true. Um, The Lord will provide for us physical and, and spiritually. Now, we might ask for things for wants, now this is important to understand as a Christian, there's our need list and our want list. Sometimes we blur them and then we can get into trouble with blurring that list. Jesus is to provide our, our needs and he does provide our wants at times. But it's very important to understand that he will, uh, the, the child of God who follows him will be lacking nothing, right? He'll, he'll provide in the way that he sees fit. Was this, and again, there's a lot of questions when we go through the Scripture. Was this a way that Jesus provided for the disciples so they could sell the fish and have some extra money because they were going to leave everything and do discipleship? It's conjecture. Was this an object lesson for evangelism? It probably was. It was probably both. Now, evangelism, what Jesus said oftentimes to His disciples is, I will make you fishers of men. He used a lot of object lessons with fishing. And it's kind of neat how sometimes uh, the Lord, you know, we have physical abilities, we have physical strengths, um, things about our character that have nothing to do with the spiritual realm. And then we get saved. And then He uses some of those things that He blessed us with from birth to use in ministries, right? Some people are great administrators. They can run a church. They can. Some people, uh, you know, are very stick to itiveness. No matter what comes their way, they're they're undaunted. You know, they're unwavering. So you can see that God used a lot of these fishermen and said to them, "You guys know everything about catching fish. Now let me teach you what it means to catch people." And what he meant by that is to bring people to the the understanding of salvation through Jesus Christ. And they made that transition. And I'm sure they still enjoyed fishing at times, but they had a higher calling at this point. Verse 9, last few verses for this morning. It says, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. (laughs) Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? 
knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So three out of three is this training and preparing the disciples for ministry. Notice that they, Jesus does a miracle for them. They catch the fish, but even as they're coming towards him, Jesus is busy. <laughs> He's already got the coals of fire. He's already got, where, where'd, the, where'd the fish come from, Jesus? He's already got everything prepared. So it's a really good object lesson here. You know, God has it all under control. Verse 11, 153 fish. I actually started delving into the number. We have to be careful with, there's a, a pseudo-science called numerology. And what people do is they take numbers in the Bible and they try to make something out of it, some, uh, some hidden meaning that nobody else found. Oh, look, I found it. Got to be a little bit cautious with that. Some of the numbering systems that people look at, the 153, as a matter of fact, some in, I would call, pseudo-Christianity use numerology to predict Jesus' rapture. He's going to come back for us. You know how many hundreds of times false teachers said that Jesus was going to come back on, I, I got all the dates in my head, and I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. No, stop listening to these people. And what I usually say is, let's wait until that date comes and goes, and then you'll see that I was right. So that's Jesus said, no man will know the day of the hour. But they use these numbering systems and these, these esoteric and, and occultic practices. You've got to be, be very careful. Understand what the Bible says but don't make it say something that it doesn't say. That's where the cults go wrong. But let's look at this number of 153, regardless of what 1 and 5 and 3 means and you add them all up. But put that aside. 153 is a lot more than zero. <laughs> That's an easy one. The disciples caught goose egg. <laughs> Jesus had them put the net in to catch 153. So what that signifies is that God is able. No matter what we can or can't do, God is always greater. We have to understand that. Uh, also, 153 indicates that it's, it's not two or three. It's not a tiny number. It's, an, it's a definitely large number from toiling all night and catching zero and then all of a sudden going from, what, 12 feet from one side of the boat to the other. You catch 153. You know, no question that that was God. 153 is also an exact number. This is important because if you look at catching fish as being representative or typified uh, as going out into this hopeless, depressed, hateful, sad, angry world and telling people about Jesus and the good news about how God loves you and that he, he's, he sent His Son to die for your sins, to save your soul, what the 153 represents is that God knew every single fish in that Net. When I was a boy, I used to like the movie Superman. Anybody ever watch? Um, was it black and white back then? I remember Clark Kent, he went to a store and there was a bunch of gumballs and they said you'd get a prize if you could get them right and, and he used his x-ray vision and gave them the exact number. I think he gave it to Jimmy or something. But uh, <laughs> Now there is no such thing as Superman, but God knew every single fish inside of that net. And God knows every single person on the planet. And it's interesting because when they do the census, what are we, between 7 and 8 billion people on the planet? That number keeps changing based on war, based on you know, uh, idiosyncrasies. Also, 
uh, people that are in remote areas that no one could get out and count. So honestly, we human beings, we have no idea how many people are on the planet, but God knows. And that's the awesome thing. If you're here this morning, yeah, you're with a group of people, some in the balcony, some down here, right? Some downstairs. But God knows you by name. He created you. He knew you when you were in the the womb. So understand that. He's a personal God. We also see that even though the fishermen were professionals, they caught nothing without the Lord. That's important too. Pride. Pride. As a new believer, I had a lot of pride. And uh, God had to work that out of me. And sometimes he used methods that weren't fun to work it out of me. But what he had to show me was, I'm God and you're not. And keep that. No matter what you learn, no matter how much of the Scripture you know, no matter where I take you in life, stay humble. Right? So, again, we can be really good at what we do in the world. We could be Cracker Jacks. But truthfully, we can do nothing without the Lord. When I was uh, in, in the police department, I, I got all these medals for marksmanship. And even when my eyesight started going, I can take the, you know, the AR-15 and from like 200 feet or 300 feet, um, I couldn't see. But when we would go down to the target, I w- they were grouped. I just had this instinct for the, for the rifle. And we did a lot of other competitions that I was, I was competing with some of the other guys. Uh, but can I tell you something? I don't know how I did it. I, it just, it's just in me. God gave me that. He gave me those abilities. And he, the memorization of scriptures, right? Um, it, you know, people say, oh, Pastor Joe, you got a good... It, but no, but it's not me, you see. One little uh, aneurysm somewhere in my brain and I lose all that like that. It's gone. So no, even the things that we're good at, what we have to understand is that God gave us those abilities. Even when it comes to p- take uh, spiritual gifts and put them aside, natural abilities. So we really shouldn't be prideful about anything. Right? Because God has given us everything that we have. So we continue. Verse 11. I don't know if you caught this, but you realize that Peter seems to... Now, I've, I've done some fishing. I'm not a fan of rocking boats when they stop. So I don't do a lot of fishing. Uh, but fish are heavy. You, you ever catch fish and you pull them in and, and they're, they're pretty heavy. And this is 153 large fish. I don't know if you caught this, but a net full of 153 large fish, Peter is dragging this thing across the beach to get to Jesus. Did he have superhuman strength? Is there an error in the Scripture? Did somebody make a mistake somewhere? No. Remember when Jesus or when Peter walked on the water? Jesus was out walking on the water, and then Peter was in the boat, and he says, Jesus, and he says, uh, Lord, command me to come to you. And Jesus, he's walking on water, and says to Peter, Come. Peter steps out of the boat and he's walking on water until he looks down at his circumstances, panics and starts to sink and the Lord has to pull him up. I look at this the same way. Jesus said, bring it here. Peter was just one of those types of believers that if God told him to do something, it didn't matter what, what he told him to do. He could do it. He, Peter didn't even think. He didn't say, guys, could you help me? He just grabbed the net and he starts dragging it onto the shore. Why? Because God told him to do it. And folks, that's really a reflection of how big we, we see our God. You know what I'm saying? Um, sometimes we do that. I tell you, when, when I was called to be the pastor, I was like, asked my wife, I was like, no way. I can't do this. That's exactly what I said 15 years ago. I can't do this. I'm here. <laughs> a lot of things happened in between there. Uh, 
the church was falling apart. I think part of it was nobody else wanted the job. But, you know, that being said, uh, here we are. And, uh, and I, I can't take credit for that. But I really, really believe in my heart I can't do this. And here I am today. Again, I can't take credit for that. Hopefully, if I did, somebody would rebuke me and say, what's the matter with you? Are you getting a little wacky? God put you here. You didn't put yourself here. And that's the truth. Um, verse 12, Jesus says, come and eat breakfast. Now, check this out. If you're here and you're hearing the Bible for the first time, God is a relational God. Now, we look in the Scripture, and Jesus is always calling somebody to come and do something. Right? Different Scripture. Jesus has said, come and see. Come and see what I have. Come and see what I do. Jesus would say, come and learn. Learn from me. He would say, come and rest. The true rest is found in Christ, not in the world. He would say, come and dine. That's a personal thing, right? Back then, eating with somebody, it meant you were becoming one with them. And he also says, come and inherit. That word come in the Greek is actually deeper than come. It means come here or come close, right? Jesus is always calling people to come close to him. He's a relational God. If you don't know the Lord Jesus while you're sitting here this morning, I'm hoping that the word is starting to penetrate that the walls that you've built up over time. I was watching a video, and, and I watch a lot of different things people send me, and it was very interesting. I, when I was young, well, I mean, I still do some things, but I used to love boxing, and uh, I noticed that, well, obviously, that Muhammad Ali had great gifts. He was he, lightning fast. He was somewhat of a showman, too. He's very charismatic. He converts to Islam, and he's having a discussion with uh, like 200 people, and he's captivating them by his charisma. But he's speaking about Islam. And here's the sad thing. He's speaking about it like you talk to any Muslim, they'll tell you the same thing. God, we don't see God as our father. We don't know the standing we have with Allah until the day we die. That's pretty sad. He's capricious. He can change his mind at will. We don't know where he's going to go. One minute he can like us, the, the next minute he, he doesn't. And I'm watching him speak, and it actually saddened me because people were like enamored by the way he spoke but he's speaking about converting and following a God who's not personal. You know? When somebody, you know, listen, it's not, I'm not picking on anybody. It's, it's just, it is the fact. Well, what do you believe? Well, I believe this. Okay, well, why do you believe that? How is your God towards you? The true God is a relational God. He loves us. He wants to be close to us. And I hope I've made that definitely clear this morning. Verse 12, none of the disciples asked him, who are you? The disciples were with Jesus for three plus years. But he looks different after the resurrection. So they don't physically recognize him, but they know it's him. They hear his voice, his demeanor, the love in his voice, the caring that he has for them, the closeness that he has for them. So without looking at, at him, they know that it's him. And it says, none of them dared to ask, who are you? Is <laughs> this got to be Jesus. I was just talking to my friend uh, who told me, it was interesting that he says this, he said it was, and he's here today in good health, he goes, it was 10 years since my, it was almost a fatal accident where I had to be airlifted to the hospital. I remember, and he's, he's my friend, I remember seeing him in the hospital and he was unrecognizable, but I knew it was him. It's an amazing thing. Appearance can change, right? But you can still know 
who the person is inside. And that's the beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus. This is very uh, important too, is that this is why it's important when you, when you, I don't know, channel surf or ministry surf or that kind of thing and you're not in, you know, in the Bible and knowing His Word because you could hear the wrong voice. Because the wolf, the hireling, Jesus speaks about that in John 2, in John 10. He comes to steal and destroy. There's a game that, that Christians do. It's a skit where uh, they blindfold the one Christian and, and he or she is walking on all fours and supposed to get from one point to another. And there's things that if they step on or touch, it disqualifies them. They don't make it. So they're, dis- they're blindfolded. One person acts as the Holy Spirit trying to tell them the good places to go to avoid the landmines. The other person is the enemy trying to trick them into stepping on the wrong thing and disqualifying. It's a very interesting game. But that's, that's life. And the way we know God's voice is to be in prayer, to be in the Word, to understand you know what I'm saying? You, you go on some of these ministries and they say that, well, God's the kind of God that He wants to just, you know, you're always going to be healthy, you're always going to be wealthy, and that's the, that's the wrong voice. Jesus never said that in the Word, and it's not reflected in any of His followers. So you've got to be careful about that. Jesus ate with them and gave them food. He ate with them and gave them food. And this is important because, because t- today... Um, you know, we could eat with anybody. You can go to the college cafeteria and just sit with somebody you don't know and eat with them. In that culture, you didn't sit next to somebody and eat with them. They didn't have like knives and forks. You would pass the food back and forth. You'd pass the meat. You'd pass the bread, right? And everybody's grabbing it and touching it to us, you know, in our, our comfort zones. That sounds gross to a lot of people. But when you ate with somebody, it was understood that you had them over or you went there because you wanted to be one with them. So some of the things that we read in the Scripture, it kind of goes over our head in American culture. You know, we want all of our, our safe zones. But back then, when you ate with someone, and you see this a lot in Jesus' post-resurrection form. He also did it with the travelers uh, on the Emmaus Road in, in, in Luke's Gospel. He would eat with them. He would say, well, let's go back to what we know. And they would say, this is definitely the Lord. Taking this all together, as we close... You know, I'll say this again. There is no A-team in Christianity. No matter what some leader tries to portray, no matter what some ministry tries to portray, we're all in this together. And I love encouraging people. People come to me and go, I don't even know. I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. I don't know what my, my abilities are. And I'd say, well, let's just start somewhere. Let's start small. And they get excited. You know, when we were doing the... Um, the, the feeding the kids in the park and uh, the food for the soul, feeding people on Friday nights. What a joy it is to, and, and I've heard people say this, uh, the one family that came up and they had all these little kids and they were so excited to get the food, that made my day. That's what I heard from one person. And I've heard things from different people. Like they just were so excited to get involved and be a part of God's work. That's exciting. So the way I look at John 21 in closing, and we're going to do more of this next Sunday, is to me, John 21 is a, it's a, a microscope. It's a microcosmic look. It's a blow-up look at the way Jesus interacts with his followers with respect to them serving him, to being part of the church. He's training, he's preparing his followers 
because he will ascend. Understand this. At this point in time that we're reading, Jesus has, he rose from the dead, but he hasn't bodily ascended into heaven yet uh, and kind of left them without this appearing and, and unappearing kind of thing. So he will ascend and he needs them to carry on his work. If we're truly followers, we desire to obey him and follow his commands and carry on his work. Now, I say that, work, that word work loosely. What is the Lord asking us to do? Is it really backbreaking work? You know, in the Old Testament, the priests, when they were to do his work, they had certain garments that God said your, your robes and stuff had to be made of a certain type of linen because God said to the priests, I don't want you to sweat while you work for me. See, when we work for God, it's supposed to be a joy. A lot of things in the Old Testament carry through to the New Testament. When we do things for the Lord, it's a joy. To see somebody come up and receive Jesus, I have to contain myself. I'm Sicilian, you know. I have to hold back the emotions because it isn't about me. It's about that person coming up to receive the Lord. Um, and I'm just like, wow, well, I'm part of this. This is exciting. To, to comfort somebody who doesn't know the Lord in a, in a hospital or doctor waiting room, and, and maybe you never see them again, but you just comforted them. You prayed for them. Can I pray for you? And they, and they open that door for you. Wow. Or somebody that comes to you and just asks you about your demeanor and your faith and can you tell me more about that? All these things are serving the Lord. It's carrying on His work. This is exciting, folks. Very exciting. So again, I have to be careful. It's work, but it's really not work as we know it. It's doing His will. Leading somebody to receive Jesus and to know now at this point that they can be assured of their salvation. Very exciting. So let's get back to the message. No discipleship dissociative disorder. And some are. Well, you know, I have members in my family that serve. Or, you know, the pastors and elders, they do a good job. But what are you doing? You know, are you, are you sensitive to hear his voice? Do you want to be a part of the big picture of what he's doing? Because, folks, I know that things are very fast-paced. The culture's fast. It's a very, even in Christianity, it's a very distracted culture. But sometimes we have to fight that and be still and listen. What does God want me to do? Because we're all in this together. You still see war? Do you still see poverty? Do you still see hatred? Do you still see division? That means there's still work to do. Do you see the Lord come back yet? No. That means that there's still work to do, folks. So I want to encourage you with this in this two-part series to get excited and to say, wow, I can be a part of this. I can't wait to see what the Lord is going to show me. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.